Let's pray and ask for the God of the Lord to help us. Please join me. God, we pray as your word speaks to us, we pray you give us teachable hearts. Help us to listen, be able to concentrate. Help us to engage with what your word says to us, what your word says to us. We pray, God, by a mighty work of your spirit, you change us from the inside out, change our hearts. Make us more like Jesus. Help us to respond in repentance and faith. God, we pray that by your spirit you'd speak through me words that are true, faithful, clear and helpful. And Father, we pray that this would all happen for the glory of your name. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if I ask you what makes you unclean, what comes to mind? Is it touching things like germs or or getting dirt on you? Does that make you feel unclean? One of my kids reminded me, uh, first slide up please, reminded me of Biff from Back to the Future. Uh, He gets covered with manure, and I think that would make you feel pretty unclean, don't you think? What about before God, though? What would make you unclean, unacceptable to him? Would it be by not going to church enough? Or not praying enough or being nice enough? Or is it certain swear words or sins like stealing, murdering? Oh, that'll make you unclean. Or is the problem deeper than that? Are you unclean before God? And if we are, how can we get clean and and be accepted? And and if we've been made clean, then, then how should it change the way we live going forward? Today's passage is relevant for all of us, wherever we're at. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus has been performing great deeds, healing the sick, walking on water, feeding 5,000 plus people. He's the great saviour of those with little faith. And the opposition and hostility from the Jewish leaders toward Jesus has been increasing In chapter 12, after Jesus healed on the Sabbath, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they could kill him. And then they accused him later in chapter 12 of being evil. And now they come to Jesus in verse 2 and say, your disciples, they don't wash with clean hands. They don't wash their hands, obeying the tradition of the elders. They don't. That's our first point this morning. They don't. But to understand this, it's important to know some historical backgrounds. Remember the the Pharisees? Uh, Everyone looked up to them. They were the the set-apart, superior ones, the the super-godly, religious ones. They studied the law carefully and were dedicated to obeying God. And most scribes who were experts in the law, most of them were Pharisees too. In the intertestamental period, that's the centuries before Jesus was born, very pious Jews wanted to be really careful about obeying God's laws. They wanted to treasure what God said and practice it and obey all of it in every way. And so they established the tradition of the elders. They were more like rules, though. More like rules than the tradition of having turkey at Christmas, say. These traditions were like a fence, a fence designed to keep people from disobeying God. And so they added lots of rules 
to try and keep you far away from disobeying God. And so God said in the fourth commandment, do no work on the Sabbath. And the elders then defined what work was and what they thought work wasn't. Their tradition was designed to supplement and expand on God's law, but actually it it replaced it. According to Leviticus 11, if you touched pigs or prawns or most bugs, you would get unclean. If you touched any bodily fluids, your own or someone else's, you'd have to wash your clothes, bathe with water, and you'd still be ceremonially unclean until evening, Leviticus 17, verse 15. So you could easily get unclean. In Exodus 30, the priests were told to wash their hands and feet before offering sacrifices at the tabernacle or the temple. And the the tradition of the elders seemed to apply this washing and expand it to all people in all of life for every meal. The washing before you eat meals, though, was never commanded by God. And please understand, it wasn't about hygiene. It's, It's not about avoiding sickness. It was about avoiding ceremonial, ritual uncleanness. But but for the Pharisees, the traditions were honestly religious rules. So for them, you break the tradition, you, you break God's law. It's important to understand this when we see the Pharisees here coming to Jesus with this question. And we're told too, notice that they've come down from Jerusalem. They've traveled like 65 Ks, not in a car, not on a bike to come and question Jesus. That's days of travel to the Sea of Galilee. And they're clearly here with, may we say, hidden motives. They're saying, Jesus, your disciples, they don't obey the the tradition. And really this is having a go at Jesus, their teacher. Because if his disciples, his followers aren't obeying the tradition, well, that says something about the teacher, doesn't it? They're implying that the disciples and the teacher are unclean. Before God. The Pharisees had accused the disciples of effectively not obeying God, and he he comes back with, You don't, you don't obey God. Our next point. Jesus answers them, verse 3 Why do you break God's commandments because of your tradition? And he shows them how with an example. Fifth commandment in Exodus 20 and verse 12 says, honour your father and mother. And in the next chapter, Exodus 21, we're told, whoever speaks evil of or curses father or mother must be put to death. Kids, I reckon that you and we all should be thankful that this is not carried out. Because as a child, I would have been put to death or deserve to be put to death a hundred times for speaking bad words to my parents. And how many of you dishonour your parents with disobeying, eye-rolling, shouting, screaming, maybe ignoring? Hasn't every one of us disobeyed, dishonoured our parents at some point? 
So Jesus has quoted God's word. And now he tells the Pharisees how they've disobeyed it and sinned. But you say, whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple, he does not have to honour his father. People were saying, it seems, may I paraphrase, mum and dad, I've got some money, but I've committed to give it to God, so I can't help you. Or mum and dad, I know you have needs, but sorry, I've got nothing left. It reveals their hard hearts. She's saying the Pharisees were all legalism and not love, lacking love for parents, their parents, and for God. They've looked for loopholes, it seems, to avoid doing what God says. Verse 6, you've nullified the word of God because of your tradition. They've prioritized human rules over God's commands and actually disobeyed God. So Jesus is saying, you're unclean, you've sinned, you're the dirty and defiled ones, you're fake hypocrites. Jesus quotes Isaiah 29. These people honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, as the NIV puts it, teaching merely human rules. Jesus is saying you've got outward religion but, but no heart devotion for God. Outward religion but, but no repentance and faith. You worship God with empty words. And the word worship in verse 9, it can refer to what you do with your body, your gestures, your ceremonies, your bowing your head, raising your hands. I wonder if we're guilty too, worshipping God with empty words, maybe even today, in singing and praying, words are spoken up the front on your behalf, or you speak the words, but you don't really mean it. Or do you worship God by, by coming to church or by watching online, by giving you money, being nice? Maybe thinking it'll earn points with God. But really your heart is far from him. Is that you? Ceremony and outward actions, they're no substitute for inward devotion and love for God, are they? Jesus then in verse 11 returns to the issue of what defiles, that is what makes someone unclean. and It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. The parallel passage in Mark chapter 7, it, it speaks more about the foods, the issue of foods that make you unclean, but Matthew, he keeps focus on the issue of washing or not washing. And Jesus clarifies in our passage down at verse 20, eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. And so he rebukes their human tradition. And they are offended, we're told in verse 12. They're offended. Let's not miss this. Jesus is willing to offend the Pharisees. I think there's, well, there is lots of talk about words that offend in our culture today. And now people, Christians too, can be guilty of breaking the Victorian law 
equal opportunity legislation when it comes to speaking words that offend someone else. Certainly we should not harass or harm or bully people with our words or our actions, but sometimes, even when the truth is spoken in love for someone's good, the other person might feel offended by our words, your words. And yet we learn from the example of Jesus here that if someone gets offended, it doesn't automatically mean we've done the wrong thing. It doesn't automatically mean that we've sinned. Sometimes we need to accept that people will get offended when we speak the truth about Jesus or the truths he taught. Be careful, be prayerful. But like with Jesus, not everyone's happy with the truth. And Jesus doesn't hold back. He's told that the Pharisees have been offended. And what does he say next? He goes harder with the Pharisees. Verse 13, he's saying they're like plants that will be pulled up by the roots. I mean, that's going to only result in death, isn't it? For the Pharisees are blind. They think they see the truth and can guide others. Jesus says they're blind guides who will only lead people to fall into a pit with them. Jesus is saying, if you look and listen to them, follow them, it'll result in disaster and judgment. For they don't see truly, they don't know the truth. Their hearts are far from God, they don't obey God, they are the unclean ones. But let's not get proud and think that we're better than the Pharisees. Yeah, thank you, God, that I'm not like one of them. They don't obey God, but neither do we. We don't obey God, our next point. What you eat, even with its, even if it's with unclean hands, it goes into the mouth, verse 17, is eliminated, may we say, in one end and out the other. But what comes out of the mouth, Jesus says, comes from the heart. And this defiles a person. What comes from the heart comes out in your words and makes you unclean. What comes from your heart is seen in our words and our actions and it makes you and I unclean before God. And Jesus gives some examples of from the heart. God offending things. Verse 19, evil thoughts, thoughts that displease our perfectly holy, perfectly pure God. But evil and impure thoughts also result in and relate to, connect to what follows. I mean, you might read murder and think, yeah, I'm not guilty of murder, but what about those thoughts where you wish someone was dead? Or you sort of, Verbally murder them with your words. Adultery, sexual immoralities, includes not only doing those things with your body, but what you do in your heart and in your mind. Imagining, fantasizing about a sexual relationship with someone you're not married to. Stealing. Or may we say wanting what others have? A heart aspect to that too. And false testimony, yes, that's in a court of law, but it applies to lying. 
Don't we usually lie to protect ourselves or to get revenge? Slander is where you seriously insult or tear down others, whether it's God, blasphemy, or other people. Tearing down others or God with your words. All these things dishonor God, along with failing to honor our parents, which Jesus mentioned earlier. And so I ask, which one of us has not sinned in in one or more of these ways? We don't obey God from the heart consistently and perfectly. We don't obey the Ten Commandments. We don't honour God with our words and actions all the time. What makes you and I unclean and defiled? It's the selfish and sinful things that flow from our hearts come from who we are. And without Christ, we are all like this before God. Without Jesus, that's what we're like to God. Offensive and covered with manure. Covered with sin. Offensive sin. So what hope is there? Well, while defiling words and actions have flowed from our defiled hearts, that wasn't true of Jesus. Jesus did. Jesus did obey God. Last year, when we were looking at 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we read these words about Christ. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Not a day goes by when sin doesn't rise up from our hearts and bear fruit in selfish words and deeds. We don't obey God all the time, but Jesus did. He never sinned. And he obeyed God's commands from his heart every day, all the time. Even when we just read that he rebuked the Pharisees. It was truth and correction. It was designed to highlight their need for repentance. See, Jesus loved others completely, or loved God completely, and others truly, truly loved God and his neighbor. He did what we should have done. Obey God. And then he died the death that we deserved in our place. Again, in First Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it goes on to say, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. And we're going to remember that shortly in the Lord's Supper. Through trusting in Jesus and his death for us, we get forgiven. So come to Jesus in dependent trust. Only he can make you clean. Clean from sin's stains. Spiritually clean and forgiven in God's sight. He really makes you clean. And yet Jesus also died and rose again so that we could be born again and get new hearts. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Because of God's mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So when we put our faith in Christ, we, 
we're, we're born again and we become new people. The old is gone and, and the new has come. And what God promised hundreds of years earlier in Ezekiel 36 to do in the new covenant he does in Jesus. In Ezekiel 36, chapter 26, we read that God promises he'll not only cleanse his people from their impurities, but I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you, remove from you your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, spiritual heart transplant. I'll place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and to carefully observe my ordinances. Jesus, by his sinless life, substitutionary death, and victorious resurrection, he obtains our salvation. And when we trust in him, the Spirit changes us and renews our hearts so that we want to and are caused to and are empowered to carefully obey God's commands. And that's why, final point, we can, as followers of Jesus, people saved by him, people with new hearts, we can obey God. We'll not be perfect. We will certainly still sin. But we can now obey God genuinely from the heart. We can turn away from those unclean things that offend God, not by our own strength or efforts, but by the Spirit we can live God's way. And so when we look again at verse 19, we can actually, by God's grace, do the opposite of these things. We can have godly thoughts, hearts that want to love others with our words and our actions, not hurt and kill, but bless and build up. Not selfishly seek my own sexual pleasure, even at others' expense, but show self-control, seek others' good. Not steal, but instead as a believer with a new heart, I can work and be content and give and be generous and no longer lie, but, but I... Speak the truth now. Speak the truth in love. And not tear down people with my words, but encourage and build up. Not dishonor and disrespect your parents, but honor them. We can honor our parents, whatever your age, whatever their age. And do all this for the glory of the God who has saved us. And when you feel you cannot, and that it's just too hard, and I know what that's like. We need to take the focus off ourselves and look to Jesus and think about him and rely on him. Cry to him and pray to him. Ask for the Spirit's help again and again. Admit your need that you cannot Obey God, not in yourself, but by the grace of God and with the Spirit, the Spirit of God you can. A number of you came to the marriage and parenting courses that we ran last year by Paul Tripp. 
He's the co-author author of a helpful book called How People Change. And in that book, there's a really helpful concept that's pictured in this diagram. Let me explain it. Uh, this describes daily life for us. The heat is a person's life with the difficulties, blessings, temptations that come on us. And people can respond in one of two ways. The thorns are a person's ungodly response to a situation. It includes their behaviour with the heart driving their behaviour. And from the thorny bush comes bad fruit. Bad fruit comes from the thorny bush as a consequence. But we have the cross. And through Christ, God brings comfort and cleansing and the power to change. The fruit tree has a good root where the person is seeking God and his way in repentance and faith. And the good fruit which comes from the fruit tree is the person's new godly response to a situation. And that comes from God's power again at work in their heart. So the fruit tree is the person who has a heart renewed by grace and a harvest of consequences and godly fruit comes. Point is, when the heat comes in your life, when trials come, it's going to show itself in thorns or good fruits. I wonder in your life lately, and whatever's going on for you, what, what has been showing in your life? Instead of reacting to a situation or a temptation, we can, in Christ, respond with love. For example, Jerry's teenage son is verbally confrontational. For you, maybe it's not a teenager, maybe it's a two-year-old. Jerry's son is verbally confrontational, that's the heat. This disrespect drives Jerry crazy, thorns in his heart. And Jerry's he gets into his son's face and he yells at him, telling him he's not going to take this disrespect any longer thorns in his behavior and this results in a distant and angry relationship with his son consequences but Christ is the spiritual food and drink and strength that Jerry and we all need Christ sustains me so that I can live with him and for him even when I struggle his grace not only forgives and cleanses it enables and delivers. He gives us wisdom and character and strength. And with the new heart, we embrace Christ and we resolve to resist temptation with repentance and faith. And for Jerry or for us, the heat may not go away. It may get hotter. Yet we're never alone. God is with us with us to provide the grace that we need to face what he calls us to face. Jerry wants his son to respect him, but this desire has become more important to him than God. He confesses that he 
treasures and cherishes respect more than the Redeemer. His son is not perfect, but his son is not the cause of Jerry's anger. His own sinful heart is. A child honoring their parent, parents, it's a good thing, but it had become a God thing for Jerry. Jerry needs to turn away from the God replacement and not believe the lie that respect is more valuable than God or God's way. Jerry turns to the hope and comfort and cleansing that's found in the gospel. He trusts again in Jesus. He tells himself, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jerry preaches the truth to himself that I'm a new man in Christ and he goes to his son and sits beside him. He apologizes and seeks forgiveness for his sinful responses. He speaks of how he longs to have a good relationship, but also that, that God would be, he longs for God to be honored in the way he responds, the way they both respond. He listens to his son. And then Jerry prays for patience and self-control and love and respect to flow from him and from his son from now on. And each day for the weeks that follow, Jerry prays that God would bear the fruit of the Spirit in him. He relies on God's presence and power and provision in a new way. He remembers that Christ has cleansed him of all his sins. He's been saved to live for Christ. And so Jerry here, I hope you can see, is seeking to change himself before he tries to force his son to change, the other person to change. I hope that you can apply Jerry's story to your own life, your own sin. We've all offended God. It's not being unwashed, but sin that makes us dirty in God's sight. But through faith in Christ, we've been cleansed, given new hearts, and we can now live God's way following Jesus. If you've been cleansed and forgiven, then obey God from your heart. Christians, because you have new hearts, go and bear good fruits, not in your own strength, but by relying on Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the real cleansing that comes for our dirty, offensive sins, all through relying upon Christ and his sacrifice for us. Thank you that by his resurrection from the dead, we have new birth, new hearts, your own spirit dwelling in us to strengthen and empower us to live your way. For any here, Lord, who are watching, who are 
still covered with offensive sin that has come from their hearts in your sight. We pray that they would turn to Jesus and find forgiveness and eternal life. For those of us who've experienced the cleansing that Christ gives, pray, Father, that you might make us more like him, that you might bear good fruits, fruit of the Spirit, from our new hearts, by your grace and for your glory. Amen.